unusual icebreakers uh, continue. Um, and Ariel has been very uh, generous and been, been listening to to my crazy icebreaker ideas. So uh, it popped into my head the other day of uh, it doesn't have to be uh, you know a full crowd, but if you had to do karaoke, what is your go-to karaoke song? And I can go first. Um, I'm a fan of rock, um, and so I would probably do uh, No One Knows by Queens of the Stone Age. Uh, it's a pretty simple lyrics, nothing too crazy, uh, pretty memorable lyrics that I could probably pull out. Um, I've listened to quite a few times. Um, it's on my running playlist, which, which helps with that... Uh, I've I've heard it quite a few times, um, but I feel like it's a good, you know, not a huge range where I have to hit like Mariah Carey levels uh, on the <laughs> on the top. Uh, so uh, or the Barry Manilow bottom. So right in the middle, kind of my range. Um, yeah. Nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. uh, Teenage Dirtbag by Weedus. Um. <laughs> Anything by the band Placebo uh, that they've got, which which tends to not be much, um, or uh, it's tough. There's so many choices. If they've got Rock and Rock in the Suburbs by Ben Folds, I think I got to throw that out there because we got to keep it's got to be light, right? Like you can't go too heavy with this song, especially if you're doing karaoke in front of like with maybe you're in a bar rather than just with a, a group in a private room. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, Teenage Dirtbag is a real, real easy one to throw out there. Like or uh, a bunch of songs by Blink-182 as well, because I'll just revert to feeling like a teenager again. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I like that, Matthew. Um, he said, what's your karaoke song? And he's like, well, here's my whole set. <laughs> I'm yeah. doing a whole show. Wait, does everyone... <laughs> <laughs> Let me hide the sheet. Um, does everyone not have a set list? <laughs> I love it. Oh my gosh. I think I've answered this before in a different like meeting. And my go-to is just anything that does not have a lot of singing and just a lot of music so I can just dance awkwardly on stage. Okay. And there's just no nice. singing. And I'm just up there. Would you do like a lip sync battle? Would your song yeah. change if you were doing lip syncing Ooh. instead? Yes, that would be fun. Boy, um, I would love if I did a lip sync battle. That's a totally different thing. But I would probably yeah, right? choose some sort of like musical theater, like sh like you know, oh yeah, um, singing in the rain or something, you know. <laughs> oh know. yeah, something where you can like dance around. Yes. And make a production out of it. I like oh, it. Yeah. I like yeah. Kelsey. I'm with you, Ariel, that I'm like, I am tone deaf and I know it. You will never see me do karaoke. I definitely Googled on the side. Funniest karaoke songs when you can't sing. Googled it. So I now have a list. I still wouldn't sing any of these because they're like, wannabe by the Spice Girls. And I was like, eh, Ice Ice Baby by Vanilla Ice. Eh. But I'm with you, Ariel, that I'm like, because you immediately think of, right, like Tom Holland, lip sync battle, yeah. doing Umbrella. That mm -hmm. I was like, if you could do it as like a whole choreographed performance, Mm -hmm. yeah. then it sparks some joy in me, but I still don't even want to lip sync. Let's just say that enough like 
theater tryouts as a child that I failed scarred me enough for life that I was like, I was a dance minor, but I still would never want to move my lips. So Mm -hmm. that's my answer to that. Whereas I'm realizing I didn't even think of musical theater numbers and now I have a separate list. Um, (laughs) So I'm going with Matthew to be his agent and stage manager, but I will not be performing. My favorite, one of my favorite lip sync battles, and I'll end with this is The Rock doing Taylor Swift's Shake It Off um, on Jimmy Fallon. And it's amazing because he's lip syncing. And so it's Taylor Swift singing, but it it's The Rock. It's, it's The Rock. It's amazing. That's uh, awesome. He's a yeah. treasure. Yeah. Emma Stone doing All I Do Is Win. I yes. just decided if I had to do one, that was incredible. And that's just a fun song. So, yep. yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, just like karaoke singers rely on their technology. I'm doing, thank you. It's <laughs> of businesses for their day to day. Yes. All right. So today on our Tech for Business podcast, um, we're joined by Matthew, our GRC analyst and VCSO, and Andrew, our customer strategy advisor, who last time we talked workstations, this time we're talking servers and applications. Um, I'm going to kind of throw it over to Matthew because I know you had a lot planned for today and I'll let you just dive right in. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so those of you who listen to the other podcasts know that we realized pretty early on how much uh, of this topic we could cover during the time frame we'd set aside so that you guys don't listen to us just talk for an hour and a half flat. Um and so we, we really wanted to segment uh, servers from this because it's a, such a completely different conversation. Um, even though you can generalize some of it and you've probably heard it be generalized, it really shouldn't be. The conversation should be bigger um, from the types of servers. And we'll, we'll dig into all of this to the way your applications can impact that, the licensing can impact that. There's There's a bigger conversation and a different conversation that goes into how does everything that we do keep running and when should we replace it? Um, then how should we replace workstations? Um, and so with that being said, uh, while AJ and I both have these conversations, I think AJ had one yesterday, which is a little more recent than my last one. So um, AJ, what's the first thing for you that kind of comes up when you're you're having these conversations about replacing servers? You know, first thing is really... What is the goal of the company? Um, everybody hears the cloud. Everybody knows, you know, okay, the cloud is, for lack of better words, somebody else's computer that's always available. Um, it's it's resources that are available to everybody instead of having to hold them yourself. Uh, is that the goal of your company? Uh, if that is, great. Let's talk about some of the things that do that coming into the applications. Um, Microsoft has done a very good job at taking a lot of the services that they have traditionally hosted on their servers on a site that you man or on a server that you manage. um, And they've transitioned them over to Azure and 365. Uh, One of the easiest examples is mail. People don't have mail servers anymore. It's through 365. Um, and As so, a quick shout out there, or you shouldn't have mail servers unless you have a very specific need for them. Hosting yes. your own Exchange server is 
a real task. <laughs> yes, especially nowadays. Not to let my uh, feelings you know, shine through too heavily, uh, but I still remember how to configure them, and uh, you know, still still remember that stuff. But you know, it's really where where are you going? Um, and trying to find an equivalent to what is available uh, for you. And so Microsoft is an easy example because they have a lot of things and and most, you know, if it's Google, great, Google has a lot of those services as well. Um, when you come to specific applications, it's really working with that vendor. Um, and it's really identifying those. So I would say the first step is identifying what is dependent upon those servers. Um, you know, we talked about Microsoft, there's ERP systems, there could be a database, there could be print services. Um, if you're going to take file away sharing. a server, yes, file sharing. If you're going to take away that server, what breaks? Um, and, and trying to find that solution to move to the cloud if that's your company's goal. Um, you know, servers used to be, you had one server, it had a job, it was on all that hardware, you'd unplug it, it's that one server. Um, it's not really the case anymore. Um, you know, I don't even wanna guess because I don't, <laughs> I'm gonna age myself and whatever. Um, but hypervisors or hosts uh, are very common now where you have one or two pieces of hardware, actual physical hardware, and they, have virtual machines or VMs hosted on them and you can spin up and run multiple servers on that host, right? So you could have your domain controller and a print server and your um, uh, domain services or whatever services you're running, you can have it on that one. It's, you know, they're def different VMs. So that's the environment that we're looking at now uh, of can we translate that to the cloud or replace that hardware? Um, most is that cycle of four, five years. Um, the discussion came up because I have a customer. Uh, it was, as Matthew said yesterday, the warranty is coming up in 2024 in March. Uh, and the company told, told our contact, hey, our goal is to be in the cloud by January of 2025. And we said, okay, that's perfect. We'll renew the, the warranty for one more year, uh, which is easier uh, through you know, HP or Dell or uh, whatever service. We can say, hey, let's renew this, this warranty, making sure that if something happens to that hardware, especially aging hardware, that we have that coverage. And then, okay, we, we, have, a, you know, we have an end date. Um, to replace that hardware and have that plan. Um, it is great that that company goal is to have it. We're gonna have a lot more backing on, um, on the initiatives that we're proposing and from the IT department, because that's the company's goal. Uh, it's, it, you know, it can be more difficult when you need to get leadership involved in saying, hey, this is why we should do it. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the reasons are, you know, frankly, moving anything to the cloud or any resource that is always available. Um, something you don't have to manage. Um, mail is a great example because it's pretty much <laughs> almost always moved over to the cloud now uh, and hosted somewhere else. 
it's always up um, or it has, I don't know what Microsoft guarantees, but you know, four nines or five nines of availability. Um, you know, um, management is a lot easier. You can do it from anywhere. You don't have to come into um, the 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 main location to access the server. You don't have the server costs. You don't have everything that's related to that server cost, to the security of that server, what happens if something happens to it, to the data. Uh, so all of those translate to that physical hardware. Um, so it's trying to find what solution works best. Um, one of the big challenges that we're going to have to have with this customer is they have a database um, that we have to see if we can move it to a cloud resource. That's not always possible. Um, and I've had other discussions where they have they host one thing on um, you know their their hardware. Uh, physical hardware on site and everything else has moved up. We've done a pretty much full migration as much as we can to a cloud resource, but it's not always possible, but it's looking into it. Um, and, and that's really where, um, you know, it's, it's finding the solutions using a, a technology partner like CIT um, to say, hey, what, what am I running? How can this move? Uh, talking to your vendor. Uh, of, okay, you, you're using QuickBooks. Okay, what does QuickBooks have? I know QuickBooks has QuickBook Cloud. What does that look like? What do, What is their timeline for the migration? Because it's not just gonna be a flip of a switch uh, and it never is. And uh, again, I, I applaud this company for saying January of 2025. That's a realistic goal uh, for, for a lot of these things in being able to set benchmarks of saying, we wanna get our new, QuickBooks in by July. So we know we can run through several months of month's end of going, do we have everything and doing a spot check? Again, it's a, you know, all the different systems you have, you have to think about that on the whole scale. And if you're gonna change stuff on a full scale, that's a lot of changes. Um, so, yeah. I Having agree. a realistic timeline too uh, is, is something to keep in mind. Um, you know, January of 2025, I think is a good goal. It's also, you know, we're we're having these conversations now to make sure that we can hit that goal. And that's still gonna be, uh, you know, we're gonna have to make sure we keep things on track uh, on our side and be able to help facilitate those conversations to make sure we hit that goal. Yeah, I, I think I, I like, I agree with everything you've said. There's there's so much of this that is important for how we we think about this long term, right? This we're talking about this at a technical level, and and that's where people think about it because we're talking about hardware, we're talking about technical hardware, but it's really a business conversation. And when we're talking about hardware lifecycle, the reason we have to think about what do you what do you want to do in five years is because it's not as simple as just replacing the laptop, right? We're talking about like you said, every piece of hardware and software that is critical to your infrastructure effectively. If this goes down, how bad is that for you? And then we're talking about what can we take off your hands? We're talking about, like you said, going to the cloud, creating a hybrid environment. Um, we're talking about how we can make things more resilient in office. Um, you spoke about hypervisors and VMs. And without digging too 
deeply into those. Um, one of the most common questions I still get is what differentiates a server? And the answer is you decide it is one in the short term. That really is the only thing that makes it a server. Um, people can argue the hardware in it. Yes, sure, there's special server hardware that is only designed to go in servers, but that's not because it can't go in workstations. It's just it goes in servers because we want the better stuff in there. Um, and so the the overarching idea here is not is not so much we need to replace the server. It's we need to think about exactly what our environment's doing, and we need to think about how we can make it better and more resilient and future-proof it as best as possible. Mail servers are still the best example, and I know Andrew went into that a couple of times, but the move to exchange uh, the move to exchange online, which became Microsoft three six five significantly helped a lot of customers. Um, it's helped many businesses, not just because there have been multiple security issues with um, ex uh, local exchange servers in recent years, um, but because those uh, all of this now became handled by Microsoft. You didn't have to worry about it. You didn't have to do updates or make sure you were checking things. Um, back when I started, started as a service center technician, exchange online, security issues and technical warnings were one of the majority of things I looked at because if someone configured them incorrectly, all of a sudden you're getting pinged from all over the world because mail is something people can sell online. <laughs> so when we're talking about it, we're really building down to that asset knowledge. Um, and for me, as you guys have heard, if you've listened to this, as someone who who works heavily in the GRC space and talks about regulations and compliance, there is so many things we need to keep in mind for that. And I often come back to the FFIEC, who has a, a, a tiered system for how they judge things. But one of their higher tier ones for servers states that every server should only perform one function. Um, and that doesn't mean that there's only one thing running on it, but it means it should only... Um, provide one service to the organization, whether that is the print server, like Andrew mentioned, whether that's a file share, whether that's your domain name services or DNS services. What you're looking for is a system that allows for resilience by saying, if this thing breaks, can I still keep running in some way? Um, the servers that Andrew described of everything's on one big server and then that server gets shut down and you lose everything is how it was run you know, back when I started doing this. And it's the way some organizations still run, the resiliency is zero. If if something breaks and requires a reboot, you lose access to everything. So we're trying to come up with ways to break that out, come up with every service. And for me, it still always starts with an asset management list. Every single application you need, every single server and piece of hardware you currently have, break them all down, find the ones that work best, find out how you can make them survive, find out where they should go. Can they be moved to the cloud? Speak with those vendors if it's a specific tool. Maybe you need a hybrid environment where some things are in the cloud and some things are in your office. That's okay. That still may be incredibly cost-effective for you. Um, but what you're trying to do is really confirm and create a system that allows you to move forward. Uh, sometimes moving everything to the cloud isn't the right goal for you. And sometimes that means you'll need a couple of hosts, maybe a bunch of VMs all doing different things. 
I know this is going to sound a little crazy to a lot of people, but I honestly think that most organizations need at least one host and four VMs nowadays. Any less than that, and I'm wondering what you're doubling up on. Uh, as I said, the FFIEC has these requirements, and some environments I'm looking at have six to eight hosts, and we're talking 30 or 40 servers. Um, or, and when I say servers, in this case, I mean VMs running on those those hosts. And the reason for that is that if if you're running a piece of software that handles your financial data, but you're also wanting, running one that handles your internal communication data, you shouldn't have to lose both if one of them breaks. And so if one breaks, that service is down, okay, but everything else is running because you've segmented them safely. Uh, and so like I said, these conversations feel like we're having technical conversations, but really we're having that business conversation. Which of these things is the most critical? How comfortable can you feel with one of them disappearing? How long can they disappear for? Uh, we have an RTO and RPO podcast that may be helpful in those types of conversations. Um, but there's so much of this is really just a, the servers are not in and of themselves important because no one's physically touching them the same way a workstation is being touched. The thing that makes them important is what you're doing with them. And so if you aren't planning for what they're going to do, what they're going to do in the future, and how you're going to replace those on a regular schedule, you're basically in reactive mode hoping something doesn't break. Um, and that is the part that I feel a lot of people don't want to think about and definitely don't want to talk about. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's just like if a workstation is doing a specific function that we talked about last time, like the shipping computer what is your business going to look like if you don't have that running? Uh, if you unplug your server, what aren't you going to be able to do? Um, it's always kind of funny where when we're decommissioning things, and I'm sure Matthew has done this, at, at some point you just need to pull the plug uh, yep. if that is turning off the service uh, and you see what breaks. Um, and and yeah, yeah. Say, we call this a scream test where yeah. we – pull the plug and see who screams first the loudest about something not working anymore <laughs> exactly they're bad we don't want to do yeah. them but sometimes exactly. it's a necessity <laughs> and and it, within any transition of these kind of services you have that you have that point where you just need to you know you just need to initiate that scream test see what happens but that's built in. That that should be something you know about. Um, the extreme case would be like, I wonder what we're running in our environment that depends on our server and going in the server closet and just pulling plug. Um, that would be a little extreme, so I don't recommend that. But um, you know, talking and and knowing about the different functions that occur within your business, um, that is the place to start. Of going, what what do people use on a daily basis, um, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis? And is that dependent upon something that you are responsible for as the business? Can I make somebody else more responsible for it? <laughs> um, and be able to take some, honestly, you sleep a little easier at night. Um, you know, um, I have had many you know, coming back to our tech days, Matthew, um, when you mentioned the mail and a lot of things can go wrong with services, I just think of people who may not pay for a static IP, right? Uh, 
people, you have to go in and you have to change a record to make sure mail can flow to to uh, the organization again because their I, their their IP changed. They didn't pay for a static one, or they couldn't pay for a static one. Um, that's just one example of one of the responsibilities you don't have to worry about anymore. Um, and knowing that your services are backed up to at least a certain point, and there's other products that help getting it past, uh, you know, the 30 days that Microsoft has, but you don't have to necessarily pay for that and continue to, to, to have that. So really just peace of mind of moving those things as much as you can um, to make it somebody else's, you know, responsibility and being able to, to have it. One of the big conversations I have is basically just about that. I have risk uh, risk management conversations uh, constantly. Um, and as part of that, we're talking about transference of risk. Who can we give this risk to so that it's not on our hands? Um, in this case, that's what you're doing when you move to exchange, uh, to exchange Online. I'm showing my age. Uh, when you move to Microsoft 365 is you're saying, I trust Microsoft to do this. Microsoft is taking on that risk for me. And there are so many things you can do that with. It's why QuickBooks now has QuickBooks Online because they are offering to, to take on that risk so you can transfer it from yourself to them. Uh, so many of these things are about doing that. Uh, servers are a huge upfront cost for a lot of organizations. The amount you have to pay down just to get those servers in office and then effectively you're thinking of, as, thinking of them as uh, depreciating assets over the course of their life. Uh, when you move to the cloud, most of the time it's subscription based. So yeah, there's still that recurring cost, but it's over time. And one thing that I found that's been interesting is it doesn't actually, it's not actually that much cheaper to move to the cloud. It, sometimes it's a little more expensive, um, but because it isn't an upfront cost, it does feel a little better sometimes to just say it's going to be X amount per month versus I need to drop in some cases. And, and I did a, a server replacement not too long ago that was, I think it was $80,000 um, per server that we were replacing. Um, and, and we ended up doing, I think, five or six hosts for this organization. Um, and then there was all the servers on top of that. Uh, so for them to move the cloud wasn't an option, but the the cost of doing that, they, they were looking at, uh, I think it was ended up being close to a half million dollars for the cost of that after they were done with everything. And that's, again, a recurring five-year cost. Now, you should be including that in your budget. You should be ready for that. Um, but at the same time, you're going to want to mitigate that as much as you can. Technology is important and you want to spend as much as you have to. But the five-year cycle gives you time to confirm that's what you have to spend. Yep. And not to harp on about it, but again, asset management, you can't confirm that's what you need to spend if you don't know what you have. Please do asset management. <laughs> this, is, this is a big conversation. I'm glad we split it up into multiple um, podcasts. And I, I want to make sure that we're covering everything you want to cover. But so what I've heard from our workstations conversation and our server conversation, it's really important to know what you have and then where you want to go. And my question is, besides budget, because that's always a hurdle, what is the biggest hurdle that businesses are kind of bumping up to when they're talking about their server lifecycle and kind of replacement? And then how it's, would you approach that? 
I, I'm going to harp on about it again. It's not knowing what they have. It's not knowing exactly what they're doing. They they don't. Part of that is maybe they're trusting someone internally to do it all. But again, this is a business conversation, and you need to be aware as business leaders of exactly what's going on in your your system. Um, if you don't understand part of it, or if it just is kind of one of those things that makes you glaze over, which I fully understand. Uh, there are people who fully glaze over as soon as I start talking. I can see it happen. Uh, <laughs> but it's really about you need to be able to make an informed decision. And if you trust someone else to make that decision for you, that person needs to be in these discussions. Uh, they need to be fully made aware of what's going on um, because you you can't fix what, what's the saying? You can't. Um, Oh, I've, I've forgotten the saying. You can't fix what you don't understand is not right. Um, paraphrasing. Um, yeah. yeah. You, you you can't do this correctly and save money in a correct and, and actually financially responsible way if you don't know what you're actually saving money on. And a lot of times when I see people who still have those all-in-one servers, and sadly, I still do see them pretty regularly, it's because someone said, oh, I know a way to do all of this in one for a small amount of money. Cool you're going to experience significant downtime. No question about it. It's going to happen. And I can probably guarantee as we get closer to that three or four year mark, you're going to experience that downtime once a month, if not more often than that. Um, so know what you have and where you're putting it. And that for me is the the number one biggest hurdle. Uh, what about you, Andrew? I would say I would say that's number one. Number two is vendor availability of does your vendor currently have an option that you can move to cloud resources? Not everyone does. Um, and knowing what that is, and if you need to transition from that onsite to the cloud or a full different system, um, that needs to be looked at as well. Because if, a piece of hardware or, or excuse me, a piece of software isn't meeting your needs. Um, you know, it's, you, you need to assess if if it's really the right program for you. If, if that's your goal to move to the cloud and the only thing is keeping you is, you know, this, this program that does a certain function, most of the time there's another program that can, that can help you with that. Um, and it's, Again, working with that vendor, understanding that, and really saying, hey, you know, sometimes it's been pushed, like I've had to push vendors of going, what options do you have? Like, what, do you have anything available? Or else, you know, maybe we're going to have to look somewhere else. And that's, you know, that that's that's a hard, hard, hard thing to swallow sometimes um, because we, you know, it's the, it's a sunk cost fallacy, right? We've spent, you know, 10 years and X, amount of dollars on on training and have so much invested in it but you know that that's a past cost um what is going to be your future cost because of because of this um lack of you know cloud transition or lack of supportability if they're like oh we have to you know we shut down and or we got bought and we don't support it anymore so um Again, it starts with that asset management of knowing what you have and then knowing what the options are for each of those. Thanks. Well, we're running low on time, so it might be something that we come back to in the future. Um, I think these are really important conversations, but I just wanted to thank Matthew and Andrew for joining us today. Thank you so much. Um, 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, subscribe. It's how we know that you're interested in these topics. Or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, reach out to us at info at cit-net.com or head out to our website, cit-net.com slash podcast. And we'll be back next week with an all new episode.